Good morning. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here at South City, and it is a joy to have you with us. If you're new to us, we're so glad you're here, and we appreciate you being with us and worshiping with us today. It's our honor to have you. We've been talking about what does it mean to love the Lord with all that we are, with everything. Jesus was asked this question, are you, there's 613 laws, commandments in the Old Testament. Jesus, they asked Jesus, what's most important? Like, help us to narrow this down. Jesus said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, Jesus says that the law and the prophets all hang on these two things. That's a pretty important thing, right? It's kind of a big deal. And so we've been in this series called Neighbor. Uh, as we think about what does it mean to love God with all-encompassing love, with all that I am, and then how does that make its way into my life in how I love all people? If my neighbor is every person that I come in contact with, how am I showing that I love him by how I love them? Last week we talked about our work, and, uh, you know, work is a hard thing. Sometimes you have people that you just... You love being with. Daryl is one of my best friends in the world. It is, a, it is an honor and privilege to serve with him. I love him very much. It's a joy to be with him. Jerry, Elvis, dear friends that I learn from and love very much. Our elders, I, I appreciate them all so very much. But some of you work jobs that you just really don't like the people you're with. It's hard to be at work. It's hard to do what you do and, and put up with what you have to put up with. And last week we talked about the fact that God has given us some directions and some directives in his word about how to love the people that you work with. Well, some of those people you might even classify or qualify as your enemy. This was a tough one. This is a hard one. (laughs) Like maybe the hardest one, right? How do you love your enemy? When I think about the word enemy... There's a few people that come to mind over the, over the years, right? When you think about the word enemy, who pops into your brain? Who's been your enemy? It's, it's not so, so easy to, to fulfill this one as a believer in Jesus. I, I love uh, Sinclair Ferguson. He's an amazing preacher and theologian. He says loving ourselves is something the world tells us we should do. He says loving our neighbors is something your pastor or religion or your church would probably tell you to do. He said, but... Loving our enemies is something only Jesus can do through us. Something only he can do. It's hard enough to love those closest neighbors to us. We talked a couple of weeks ago about our family being our closest neighbor. It's hard enough sometimes just to love the people we love the most, much less the people that we would classify as our enemy. But Jesus is calling us, we're going to look at a a section of the message from the Sermon on the Mount today. and He's calling us to be a different people. He's calling us up to love our enemy. Have you ever felt hated? Have you ever felt what it feels like to be hated, despised, loathed? There have been a few seasons in my life, a few times where I've felt that. The very first church I ever served in was in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And there were a few of the leadership there uh, in the deacon body. They were not my biggest fans for some reason. I don't know. Um, there was this one man, for, like for sure, he and his wife, it just seemed like they had just chosen to, to hate me. And some of you go, okay, maybe you're being a little drastic here. No. <laughs> um, I would walk up and say, hey, good morning. They'd go, they would with disdain. They would literally roll their eyes, say something under their breath, and just walk away from me like I was the most disgusting person they'd ever seen. I was 20. It was my first full-time church, and it broke my heart. I, I, like, I, don't, I wouldn't class myself as a people pleaser, but I want people to like me. And when that kind of thing happens, it devastates you. And I found myself just kind of withering and being angry and frustrated and not understanding and I went to a friend of mine uh, who was a financial counselor. I was talking to him about some finances, but he's a believer in Jesus, and he sees every opportunity as an opportunity to disciple somebody. He says, how you doing, man? What's going on? I said, man, I'm just having a tough time. There's some people in the church that just hate me. He goes, huh, God sure does love you. Like, okay, did you hear my thing about the hate? Like, 
He goes, yeah, no, yeah, I heard it. He said, God sure does love you, though. I was like, okay, I know that. What, where, where are you going with this? He says, the fact that God would place people in your life to cause you to love, to, call, to cause you to forgive, will shape your heart into the image of Jesus. And so this is what you have to do. Pray for them. Love them. Bless them. And I just kind of put my head, I remember that moment. I put my head down. I was so angry with him. I didn't want to love them. I didn't want to pray for them. I wanted a friend to go, man, you're right. They're jerks. You know the little phrase that says, misery loves company? I wanted some company in my misery. I wanted to commiserate with what I was feeling and what was being done to me. He didn't give me that opportunity because he saw an opportunity to teach me about Jesus and teach me about the Word of God instead of just patting me on the back and going, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? No, he said, God is going to use this to change your life. As a 20-year-old kid in my first full-time church, God was doing a work in me that was incredible. And he began to change my heart. I don't know if you've noticed this or not in in the current cultural climate, but there's a lot of hate out there. Have you felt that? So much hate in the news, in different political rallies, on social media. You just feel this hatred, this vitriol between people. And it, it's sad. You know, social media has caused us this thing where we feel like we can fight with each other and not have to reconcile. It's this wall, it's this imaginary wall with our imaginary friends or followers, and we can say whatever we want, and we can, you know, get a little jab in here or there. We don't have to ever reconcile, we don't have to make it right. And it's just causing us to be this hateful people full of anger, full of disagreement. It's not, a, it's not a great thing. Politics are so completely polarized that nowadays if, if we disagree about something in politics, it's like we can't love each other. We have to be enemies. And I'm telling you, that's not the case. That's not the truth. Our culture even supports when something happens in our lives, when a job goes south, when a relationship goes bad, when somebody does something to hurt you, how many friends come around and go, oh, I can't, I, I'm going to hate you with him. Yeah, you deserve to be happy. You deserve all the, yeah, and you just build this little team of company in misery, don't we? But can I remind us this morning, church, that's not what Jesus said to do. Right? Jesus said to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But it's not an easy one. It's not an easy one. We want to learn how to love the Lord with all that we are. We want to learn how to love our neighbor as ourselves. And I want you to notice something. There's no clause in that that says, well, you love your neighbor as yourself unless they really, really hurt you. But isn't that the way we act? uh, Love your neighbor as yourself unless they really, really did a number on you. They really, I mean, really wounded you. Then it's okay to be hacked off. Then it's okay to hold a grudge. Then it's okay to hate, and I'm telling you, that is not the truth of God. Today we want to look at what is the truth of God in Matthew 5 from the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your Bibles, turn over there with me. Matthew 5, 43. It says this right here. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples towards the end of the message of the Sermon on the Mount. I, I would highly recommend going back and maybe this week studying the Sermon on the Mount. What a beautiful, beautiful uh, message of Jesus calling his people up to, to be dependent upon him, and yet to be called up and to be different. Matthew 5.43 says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love some those who uh, love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Would you pray with me this morning as we prepare our hearts for this truth? God, we love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to worship with people that we call family of families, the people that we're walking life with. Lord, thank you for the privilege of looking into your word and going deeper into your word and and challenging our own myths 
and understandings and opinions and feelings with the truth of the Word of God. Now, God, give us courage to change who we are, to be who you want us to be. Lord, would you give us that grace? Would you lead us and direct us, humble us as we learn to love our neighbor, even our enemy? Lord, I pray that in this time that I would decrease and you would increase in this time. Lord, that your spirit would lead us to all truth. We will submit to you, Lord. We love you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. I'm going to talk about three things this morning. I'm going to talk about the fact that, and this is, if you have your card, there's a few notes on the back. You can take some others if you want, but I'll just go ahead and give you the answers quickly. We're going to talk about the fact that God is calling us to obey his word, not our feelings. We obey God's word, not our feelings. And then I'm going to get into the fact that Jesus has made commandments, not suggestions, right? And then lastly, I want us to see that he's calling us to be a different people, and not just different perfect. So how do we do this? How do we obey God's word and not our feelings? It says in uh, verse 43, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now I want you to notice something. Jesus here doesn't say you've heard that it is written, right? There's a big difference in you've heard it said and you've seen that it is written or you've heard that it is written. Basically what Jesus is saying here is this is not written, this is just said. And this is what we do. This is what the Jews had done. This is what these, the culture had done uh, of believers and Jews and even his disciples. They had said, let's take some of the things that God says, right? So in Leviticus 19, it says that we should love our neighbor. They got that part right. And then they came along with a back part and said, and hate your enemy. Can I just explain? That's nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> We're not to hate our enemy. And what had happened was people had said, here's a little bit of God's word and here's a little bit of my opinion and let me live by that. And how does that reflect our culture as believers today? Right? We do that, don't we? Here's a little bit of God and here's a lot, a lot of me. And I'll just call it quits there. And I'll just, I'll trust a little and I'll do my own thing. It was not the heart of God that we should hate our enemy. And Jesus is correcting these people in this moment. He, he wants them to understand his heart through his word. Now, it might be the natural thing for you to do to hate your enemy. Very natural, right? The thing that happens without Christ might be the very natural thing to do to hate an enemy that hurts you, but it is not the thing God is calling us to do. He's calling us through the Sermon on the Mount to live and love supernaturally. Not with our love that we understand, but with his love that we obey right? Here's, here's what uh, the Bible says in some examples in the Old Testament about loving our enemy. Proverbs 24, 17 says, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and do not, uh, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. You ever done that? <laughs> Did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, man. That's not God's heart. When somebody falls, when somebody hurts, when somebody is wounded, the prayer is that God is disciplining. He is, right? Hebrews 12 says he, God disciplines those he loves. And, and maybe this person is a Christian and he's walking through some discipline and we go, ha ha, he got his. That's not the heart of God. Instead it would be maybe, Lord, I'm praying that you continue to draw him to yourself and do the same in me. Because I got a lot to learn. Look at Exodus 23, verse 4 and 5 says, If you meet your enemy's ox or donkey going astray, some of your translations say in a ditch, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. What's Moses trying to say in that moment right there? What's God saying through Moses? He's saying, listen, when you have an enemy, you serve that enemy. You love that enemy. You help. You rescue. You do what you can. Right? You don't have to have the perfect opinion and, and be a, like perfectly aligned, but we can love and we can serve. Jesus here is correcting this thought that we can love our neighbor and hate our enemy. No, that is not God's heart. We have to be obedient to his word, not to our feelings, regardless of how difficult the situation has been. Regardless to how hurt you've been. Regardless to how broken you've been through a wound that somebody hurt you with. You are called as a believer in Jesus to forgive. Amen? <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. Here's the second thing. Jesus calls us to commandments, not suggestions. 
This is what he says in verse 44. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. This is a phrase Jesus is saying. It's an imperative phrase. It's not a suggestive phrase. It's an imperative phrase. Love your enemy. That's what Jesus tells us as his disciples to do. He's not saying, consider loving your enemy. You might think about it. It's not a suggestion. It's an imperative. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. This is what God is calling his people to do and who he's calling us to be. But do we obey it? I'll never forget sitting in my financial planner's office. I was 20, and he was telling me to love this man and his wife, and I didn't want to. I had my head down, and I remember thinking, no. And I was angry at him that he would call me up to something like that. But in my heart, I knew he was right. I knew God was calling me to love instead of hate. I knew God was calling me to bless instead of curse. But I didn't want to. My sin nature wanted a friend in that misery. But I began to pray for this man. He was a doctor. I began to pray for he and his wife. And slowly, over weeks, over months, God began to change my feelings for them. He really did. I was single at the time. We weren't married. Lori and I weren't married yet. And so I had time on my hand. And I remember thinking to myself, let's see if this works, right? God, let's see if your word is true. I'm going I'm to really try this. I'm going to put my heart to this. And I remember it felt so strange forming their names in my mouth with a good phrase. Like, Lord, please help me forgive. Uh, Lord, please bless this man. He's already a doctor. Okay, okay. Lord, please bless this man. Please grow him. Please bless his heart. Please grow him. And I remember I couldn't even hardly form the words in my mouth. I began to change and God began to help me see their side. He helped me begin to see what they were feeling, what they were walking through, what they might disagree with, and he helped me to forgive them. Did you know you can forgive somebody even if they don't ask you to? You can let them off the hook before they ask to be let off the hook. And that's what God was teaching me. I was praying for them. Lord, help me to forgive them. Regardless of how they feel about me, help me to forgive them. Help me to see them the way you see them. And, and I'm telling you, before long I began to love this couple. <laughs> Look with me in Romans 12, verse 17. Paul says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Repay no one, regardless of your story, regardless of how difficult, regardless of how sinful and broken, uh, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What's the first thing that happens when we feel hurt, when we feel misunderstood, when we feel abused? We want revenge, don't we? Oh, I'm going to make you, I'm going to hurt you, man. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. That's our sin nature. That is the natural feeling that we have. As believers in Jesus, we have to fight that inclination. We have to fight that feeling, that desire to, to want it our way, our desire to want to make it right, our desire for revenge. No, we have to pull back. We have to pull back. Paul says, don't repay evil, but instead, do good. Right? That's not what we would do in our, in our na natural state. But when somebody does evil to us, how do we do good? How do we do what is honorable in the sight of all? How do we live in peace as far as it be up to us? How do we care for their needs? Because if we begin to love our enemies and people we have issues with, that way they won't know what to do with your love. I watched it happen, friends. They won't know what to do with your love. See, to love the Lord with all that we are, with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, is also to say, God, I trust you. 
And when we don't forgive, we're saying, I don't trust you with this one. This hurt my heart too bad, God, and the only thing I got to hang on to is this bitterness, this anger. I'm going to hang on to it. I want it. No. Let go. Forgive. Be free. Paul quotes a, a section of Scripture in Proverbs 25 when he says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Some of you are like, yikes, what is that about, right? So this was an Egyptian uh, tradition long, long ago. If somebody really wanted to show that they were repentant, if they really wanted to show they had a repentant heart, they were wrong for what they did, they would place a pan of burning coals on their head. And they would walk around the community and let people see the scalding their head, burning their head. They were showing, I mean that I'm sorry. I mean it. I've done, done this to myself. Paul is basically saying, when you feed your enemy, when you give him something to drink, when you give him something he needs, the prayer is that you are leading him to repentance. Isn't that what Scripture says about God? Lord, it's your kindness that leads us to what? Repentance. So when we're kind and we're loving and we do this to somebody that you think it's hard to believe that, that I'm doing this for somebody that I really don't like, I'm doing it out of obedience, the hope is that it leads them to repentance, real repentance. Real repentance that changes their lives. That is the hope and prayer. Dr. Martin Luther King saw a lot of people that hated him. He saw a lot of people that were against him. He says this, this is one of my favorite quotes of his. He says, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. If we just stay in this natural state, just beating each other up constantly, because this is my right to feel this way, and you got your right to feel that way, we just, we're not going to get anywhere until we surrender to God's heart, to who we're to be in him. If we surrender to him, God will do something in us. So here's a question. Who are our enemies? Who are these people that we're talking about? Well, I've broken it down into three different categories. They're either people who have wronged us or wounded us, or they're people who think we've wounded them. That could be our enemy, right? It could be people that see things differently than us, politically, scripturally, sexually. There are people in our culture that we go, oh, I'm, that's my enemy. I'm against that guy. I, uh, you know, We see things uh, at two ends of the spectrum. It could even be people who ideologically hate you. There are countries around the world that, that, that scream passionately, death to America, death to Americans. could be certain religions that feel this way about you, uh, about us, about Christians. Are they your enemy? Sometimes it feels like they are, right? So how do we love these people? How do we get uh, down into the weeds, if you will, of what Jesus is telling us to do, to love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us? Well, here's the first thing I, I want to say. When somebody has wounded you, when somebody has wronged you, the very first thing we have to do is forgive. We have to forgive them. See, part of this whole great commandment thing of loving the Lord and, and loving our neighbor as ourself is seeing our neighbor. Remember that? We see our neighbor as ourself. Do you think you need forgiveness? Of all the people in your life, you know you need forgiveness. You haven't kept God's command. You've broken his law. You've made mistakes. You sin continually at different times. You know that you need forgiveness. And to love my neighbor as I love myself is to say, he needs the same forgiveness I need. Forgiveness is where we start with people who have wronged us. Listen, when you forgive, it frees you from the bondage of hatred. It frees you from bitterness. It, it, you can let go. To trust God with it is to say, God, vengeance is yours, not mine. I trust you. I want to let go. It's to trust that God will repay and we don't have to. Forgiveness is letting go and trusting his control. But I, I want to make this clear. Forgiveness is not necessarily trust. Sometimes as believers, we make the mistake and we go, oh, I've got to forgive, and then I've got to get back in that relationship. Nope. That is not necessarily the case. 
Forgiveness is not necessarily trust. This is what I mean. Dr. Dan Allender is a great writer and counselor. He's an amazing man. I read in one of his books, he talked about this exact thing of forgiveness. He said it's kind of like banks. If you have a loan with a bank, there's a possibility at the bank, if you can't pay that loan, no, don't go to your bank tomorrow and try this, but, but there are times where a bank says, hey, we realize you can't pay the rest of that loan. We're going to forgive that loan. And you're like, oh, thank you. That's so awesome. Thank you. Well, if you were to show up the next day and fill out a loan application, you're not going to get that loan, right? In the same way, sometimes we forgive people that have wounded us, hurt us desperately, may have hurt our children, done something that was devastating to us. We forgive because that's being obedient to Jesus, but we don't necessarily offer new money. We don't necessarily offer new relationship. We, we're not expected necessarily to go back right where we were. No, that, that's changed. We forgive, but it doesn't mean we trust. Trust has to be built. It's quickly lost, and it takes a long time to earn and build. So we forgive, but we don't necessarily uh, go back in a certain relationship. Here's the next thing I think we need to do. Look past the person. Look past that individual sin, that individual instance, and see the system behind them. See the sinfulness. See the sickness. Maybe even see the story that you don't know. You ever heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? Hurt people, hurt people. There is something we may not know about the person who hurt you. We may not, now we, we might start creating all these narratives for them that may even, they're probably not true, most likely. But you don't know. You don't know what they've been through. You don't know what they've walked through. There may be a reason that they did what they did. I know for me, when I feel hurt and when I feel um, abandoned or wounded in some way, the biggest question for me is, why? You ever felt that? Why? Help me understand what happened. Why did this happen? Listen, when we forgive, we can let go of the why. And we can trust. We can have empathy for people. We can say, Lord, Help me to, to see them as I see myself in need of forgiveness. Give me empathy for them. You may not know that they're a product of their story. You may not know what kind of brokenness they came from. And God can give you empathy to love even when they've hurt you. When it comes to people that you feel differently about, you have different opinions. This is going on big time right now in our country in politics, right? How can I love somebody or if I completely disagree, it feels like we just, we have to be polarized. Not necessarily. Do you know in this room alone, there's all kinds of political views. There's all kinds of political views. You won't see me on Facebook uh, promoting a, a certain president, a certain direction, a certain political party. It won't happen. Because God's called us to reach all people. Uh, that you, you deal with that. You work through that. You pray through that. But I will say this, we can love people we disagree with. And just because they have a certain view about or a certain opinion about their views doesn't have to shake the core of yours. You can have your opinion, you can have your views, and they can have theirs. And we can love each other as the body of Christ, despite differing views and opinions. I like what Andy Stanley uh, said. He's awesome. And he just recently did a series, I forget the name of it, I think it's Politics, just recently did a series about politics. He says, Andy says, Republicans would say if Jesus were here, he would absolutely be a Republican because of his values. And yet Democrats would say, no, Jesus would absolutely be a Democrat because of the way he loves people. And sometimes they take the same scripture and they move in different directions to explain their position. Friends, can I tell you, we got to be so careful that we don't look at the Bible through a political lens. We can't look at the Bible through a political lens. We have to know the Word of God and then develop our political views. We have to be kingdom people first, political people second. Jesus people first, Americans second, right? That is what God is calling us to. We can have eyes of compassion. What about the people who are chanting death to Christians? Killing Christians, different ideologies that, that say that's part of their religion or what or those are enemies. Listen, we can have eyes and hearts of compassion 
and we can pray for those who persecute us. Even from afar, you may not realize you're being persecuted. We can love our enemy and we can pray for those who persecute us. This is what, again, Dr. King says. He says, when you rise to the level of love, of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to be caught up in that system, you love, but you seek to defeat the system. We have to look through the sin, the individual sin, or look through the individual person and what's gone on and see that there's, they're, they're being dragged into a different system. And that system may be sinfulness, and it causes us to have empathy and pray. So here's what we've talked about. We have to obey God's word, not our feelings. We have to realize that, that the commands of Jesus are not suggestions. He's, they're imperatives, right? And then uh, those imperatives are to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. As I said, when you begin to pray for your enemies, you're going to have trouble even forming their name in your mouth. Seriously. You're going to have trouble saying, eh, bless them. It's going to be a hard thing for you to do, but I promise you, if your lips will utter a prayer of obedience, your heart will begin to follow. I want to say that again. It's true. If your lips can begin to utter prayers of obedience to Jesus for your enemy, your heart and your soul will begin to follow. All of a sudden, you'll begin to see people differently than you've ever seen them before. He'll help you replace bitterness with blessing. He will. He'll help you replace hatred in your heart with a desire to help. That's what he does. Can I also say this? It's hard to pray for people that you hate. It's almost impossible. Remember there's a scripture that says that out of our mouths should come blessing, not cursing. We shouldn't have two things coming out of a, one spring, right? And as we're praying for our enemies, we want to have blessing. 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 Praying for them. Learning to love them. And Jesus says this in verse 44. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. What does it mean to be a son or daughter of God? Well, I think in this context, what Jesus is talking about is we do the things he's done. And what has he done for you? What has he done for you? What has Jesus done for you? Look with me in Romans 5, verse 6 through 11. It says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we, are also, we also rejoice in God through our, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. This is what this is saying. Before you knew Jesus as your Savior, you were an enemy of God. You don't want to be an enemy of God Almighty. Can I just say that? That is not a good place for you to be. If you don't know Jesus today as your Savior, you're in this room, you're listening to this message and you're going, I don't know if I know Jesus you could be in a place of, of, of separation from Christ, from God. You could be his enemy. And with enemies come wrath. God has wrath for his enemies. Now the good news is this is the gospel of Jesus. For those of us who believe in him, for those of us that believe that he was Messiah, that he died for us, God took that wrath out on him. God took our wrath if you are saved today, if you know Jesus as your Savior, he took his wrath on us enemies out on Jesus. That's what he did. So we don't have to fear that wrath. We've now been, Paul says, reconciled. The word reconciled means we were okay at first, right? Jesus created us. We were in the garden. Things were good. Adam and Eve sinned, and our relationship is broken down between us and God. Now, at that point, we've become enemies of God. And his wrath is against us until Jesus, praise God, hallelujah, he comes and he dies on a cross and God Almighty places his wrath on Jesus instead of us. And if you choose to know him, if you choose to follow him and serve him, that wrath is against him and not held against you. 
Here's the other thing. If that's what Jesus has done for us, if that's what God has done for us, how do we become his sons and daughters? Well, we act like that. We take our enemies and we love them even while they're still our enemies. We take our enemies and we forgive them even while they're still our enemies. And then God uses us. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave that to us, friends. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you to, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So here's the thing. If you know Jesus, you are now an agent of reconciliation. You are now an ambassador of God. He now reaches through you. He now reaches through you to see people reconciled to himself. Isn't that awesome? So here's the question. Are you a son and daughter of God? If we are sons and daughters, then we're doing the things God has done. And what has God done? He didn't hold his wrath against us. He, he forgave us while we were yet sinners. He loved us instead of held wrath against us. We have to love our enemies. We have to offer forgiveness. We have to show that we are his sons by forgiving those who have hurt us, our enemies. And when we do, God gives us a ministry of reconciliation to the world. Lastly, I want to say this. Jesus says to be different. The whole message of the Sermon on the Mount is about you being different. So much of it is about you can't be different on your own. But praise God, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, I have come to fulfill the law. I've come to fulfill the law. But you have to be different, and not only different, perfect. Matthew 5.45 says this, For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now in the theological world, this first part of this verse, it talks about the sun rising on on the the evil and the good and and talking about God sending rain on the just and the unjust. That's a theological term called common grace. In other words, what that means is people all over the world experience the goodness of God. Today is a beautiful day and many people are not believers walking around enjoying the beauty of this day. That's common grace. People who experience the joy of marriage and the joy of their children, the love of their children, that is a common grace God has given to the world. But Jesus is saying, I'm not calling you to all be the same. I'm calling you to be different. I'm calling you to be different. And then he uses these, these examples of two people that the Jews absolutely detest. Jesus is so brilliant when he's teaching a message about how to love your enemy, then he brings up their two greatest enemies. Right? He says, he says the tax collector, these people that the Roman government had used to cheat the Jews, they, they do something that everybody does, right? They, they love people who love them. And the Gentiles, that other group that they hate, they, they say hello. They love people who love them. No big deal. I'm calling you to be different. And what does different look like? It's not natural. It's not what everybody does. It's supernatural. It's more. To be different is to love your enemy. And if we love with God's love, it is a perfect love. It's not the imperfection of our humanity. Some people take this verse and they, they say a better translation is, is about maturity. Uh, be mature. Be growing in maturity as a believer. But that doesn't sit perfectly when you say be mature as your father is mature, that doesn't seem to make as much sense. Now, I think Jesus is setting the bar high as he has throughout the Sermon on the Mount about you can't do these things, right? When he said, uh, you, you say that you, uh, um, you've never committed adultery, but if you have lust in your heart, then you're guilty. Jesus is making the law impossible to follow apart from knowing Jesus who has fulfilled the law. In the same way, he's saying, if you want to be perfect, and you have to be, 
then you got to love with my love. You got to love with the Father's love. You got to do something absolutely crazy, which is to forgive your enemy. Who does that? It's not easy. It's not easy. I want to finish this story about uh, the doctor. So it all came to a head one day. Service was over. I went to my office, and I was in the office, and we had sort of a plate glass window, and I saw uh, this man and his wife walking out in the hallway. And I did what I did every Sunday. Every Sunday morning and Sunday after service, I did this. I said, I said, goodbye, you guys, love you, praying for you this week. I did it when they came in. I did it intentionally. I did it in love. I didn't do it to be facetious or some other way. I honestly didn't. God had changed my heart and given me a love for them. And I said it in love. But this time was different because as they were walking, you almost could hear, they stop mid-step. And I see him say something to his wife and point to the car. And she takes off and goes to the car. And I thought, oh, boy, it's on now. And I just waited. And he walked in the office and he said, come in here. Took me into my office where there was no window. And he got about this far from my face and he said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He said, you tell me what you're doing. I said, I don't understand what you mean. He said, you keep telling us good morning, good afternoon, you love us, you're praying for us. Why are you doing that? And in my spirit, God confirmed that his word was real. (laughs) That his word is true when we obey his word. And I, I couldn't help but smile a little bit. I was like, oh my gosh, this is working. And I said, Dr. Gardner, the Bible tells me to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. You've made it very clear that you hate me. You've made it very clear that I'm not, you're not my biggest fan. I understand that. And I may even understand some reasons why. But you can't keep me from loving you. You can't keep me from telling you good morning and praying for your blessing. And he took a step back. And his face fell and he, he dropped his head. This is an 80-year-old man or older. And he began to weep. And I just waited. And he raised his head with tears flowing down his face. He said, I thought that's what you were doing. He said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't know why I've done this. I don't know why we've been this way. We we do have some disagreements, but I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? And I just said, with the love of Jesus, of course. And I hugged him, and we prayed together in a hug. That wasn't what I wanted to have happen. It wasn't my desire to make that happen. And I didn't make it happen. All I did was trust that God had said what to do in his word, and I, and I bypassed my feelings and chose obedience. Instead, I didn't say, oh, God's made a suggestion. Jesus has made a suggestion about how to live. No, he's made a commandment as a Christ follower for how to live, and that's what I have to do. And I'm an imperfect person, but when we love with God's love and we love our enemies, it's a perfect love. Friends, can I tell you this morning, we're closing. God is calling us as Christ followers to love our enemies until they become our neighbors. Until we can understand where they are. We can learn from them. We can love. We can pray for those who persecute and revile us. Forgiving those who've hurt us, who've wronged us. We leave vengeance to the Lord. And we choose to live a different life than the rest of the world. We love our enemies. And we act like the sons and daughters of a perfect loving God. Listen, as we close this morning, some of you may remember the story of Botham Jean. He was a young man, young African-American man living in Dallas. He's sitting on his couch watching TV, eating ice cream, which many of us enjoy doing. (laughs) Safety of his own home, and, and a neighbor breaks into his home thinking it was her home. And she mistakenly took him for a thief in her home, and she was an off-duty police officer, and she shot and killed this man who was just sitting in his own home. Can you imagine if that was your family member? Can you imagine how angry you would be, how devastated you would be that they did that? And you would ask all these questions, why? Does Does it look like your apartment? Is it the same floor as your apartment? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But what played out in the months 
later was an unbelievable example for us as the body of Christ to learn how to love our enemy. And I want to show you, as we close, I want to show you this. It's about a four-minute clip. This is Botham's uh, brother on the, the stand, and he wants to speak to his brother's killer. And today we get to see an example of what it means to love your enemy and to forgive. Go ahead. I don't want to say twice or for the hundredth time what you've or how much you've taken from us. I think you know that. But I just, I hope you go to God with all what, all the guilt, all the things, the bad things you may have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you truly are sorry, I know, I can speak for myself, I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. That's, I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. easy you can see how difficult it was for him as he struggled to say those words may our obedience be greater than our feelings may we trust that God's word in Jesus are imperatives not suggestions and may we be a different people loving with a perfect love pray with me this morning Father, oh, how we need you. There may be people in this room or people online that are watching that, that feel that same disgust that I felt when Roger spoke to me and said to love. said, man, how much Jesus loves you that he would place people in your life 
to cause you to become more like him. God, could we see the brokenness of the people that have harmed us or hurt us or wounded us or disagree with us? Can we see them as opportunities to become more like you, Jesus? And would you give us a love that is not our love? It is not a natural love. It is a supernatural love. It is a perfect love through an imperfect people. God, you're calling us to be different. You're not calling us to be the same. Where the rubber meets the road, God, may we love the people who have hurt us and harmed us, our enemies. May we love every neighbor and in doing so show that we love you with all that we are and we choose to be obedient to what you've called us to. And we can watch amazing supernatural miracles happen like what we just experienced on this screen. God, I pray for that family continually. God, I pray for anyone in here that's struggling with what this means for their own lives, their own stories, their own forgiveness. Make us who you want us to be. Place people in our lives that help us to look more like Jesus by the way we obey you and process these things in our lives to know you more and to love them. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that it changes us now. In Jesus' precious name, amen.